0: Uh, I certainly enjoy the privilege it is to come and open up the Word of God and to preach. I'm blessed to have an opportunity to do that practically every Sunday because I get to do that through song. On days like today, I get to do it through song and then through the spoken word that I trust will be a blessing and encouragement to you as we study the Word of God together. I decided since we're coming to the close of our study of the book of Romans I would go ahead and prepare a handout that would help you with your study uh, so that you wouldn't be reminded of the uh, wanderings through that I was leading you through in the times I was preaching but as we come to the close I, I really want us to think about the book of Romans a little bit differently than perhaps we are accustomed to I believe that if you were to ask The average Christian or perhaps maybe even scholars and 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 other preachers and uh, theologians what their perception or what their main goal or focus would be when they studied the Book of Romans they probably would point to justification by faith is how we know that we're justified before a righteous God as righteous individuals. We we learn about the sinfulness of man. We we learn about the the relationship between uh you know God and his people. But as we've been going through this book over the past many months, and particularly over the past few weeks, as Tim and I have been addressing from Romans thirteen, really starting back in Romans chapter twelve onward i've really started to be impressed with something that i don't believe in all of my years of studying scripture that ever really gave that much adherence to and that is what's the point of it all could it be that god gave us the book of romans through the inspiration of the holy spirit to paul to record his word so that we might have theological truth absolutely there are things that we know about our salvation that we know nowhere else and what paul says is in total complementary uh relationship with everything else we know about salvation there's no doubt in my mind that the theological issues and uh the, the, the the thought that it guides is unmistakable but is that really the purpose That we have the book of romans you see it's a matter of ends justifying the means or sometimes we get it confused and we use means to get whatever ends that we you know want or uh, but we look at what the, the intent was i think that we're coming closer and closer to it is that question that's on your sheet causes me to stop and think what is the what is the true underlying end of the day bottom-line purpose for the book of Romans. And it comes in this question, why does Paul use so much of the letter focusing on getting along with the weaker brother? We've been talking about, if you start back in Romans chapter 12, of surrendering our life. That we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice and we've been talking about how we do that to the government we talk about how that we do that with one another how we uh we don't depend upon our own strength but we depend upon the spiritual gifts that god has given us to exercise and minister to one another and that paul ultimately puts it in chapter 13 that in order to fulfill the law of christ it's not that we know how we're justified, it's not that we know where we came from as sinners, while well, all of that is absolutely imperatively important. But I believe the reason why Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to give us all of that information is to understand how God changes a person to fulfill their purpose that will ultimately result in our end goal of eternity with Christ forever. That he spends at least two chapters out of 16 talking about, you who are stronger, this is how you need to treat your weaker brother. It's a reality check there are going to be those within the body of Christ who are weaker than others. And so as the title of this message, and I, as much as I appreciate the fact that God has a sense of humor and allowed me to use some alliteration here, that I had no idea. As a matter of fact, I typed this. The very That's the last thing I put on this outline was the title, Harmony, Hope, and Heaven. But I hope that by the end of this message, If we make it that far you'll understand the reason why because as we've been talking about for the last several messages from the book of Romans we've been talking about harmony we've been talking about getting along we've been talking about how to relate to one another stronger with the weaker and Paul goes on to use some even more strong language here in verse 1 as we begin our reading here in chapter 15 Paul says we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for christ did not please himself but as it is written the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me for whatever for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you're plugging along with me and you actually can say, hey, see something about harmony in there? See something about hope in there. I see something about heaven in there. Now we're going to be looking at more verses in the rest of the chapter, but this is where we're going to begin. Because again, it's a very strong imperative that Paul gives to the strong Christian. That's pretty significant in just the fact that Paul would include anyone in his company. Now again, we realize that Paul, was very humble paul considered himself a slave to of, of jesus christ he considered himself a servant to all of his brothers and sisters in christ he gave his life so that others whether they would ultimately believe or not at least they would know the gospel but i think it's interesting that he would say we who are strong we have an obligation This is not a suggestion this is not some helpful hints of living an effective and efficient life if we are strong in our faith if we are mature in our faith we have an obligation no questions asked no can i Amend this some way or the other, but we have an obligation. We have an obligation to do what? To bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, see, that should, that last part should be a given because Jesus said, if any man wants to be my disciple, let him first do what? Deny himself. But as paul reminds us in romans chapter 6 and 7 that regardless of how strong we are we're dealing with a body of sin and we are always going to be subject to that temptation to what please ourselves so that we as paul says die daily we must be crucified with christ therefore we no longer live but christ lives in us we have an obligation, as we are not pleasing ourselves, to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, first of all, let's consider this idea of bearing. What does that mean? Does that mean that I tolerate somebody? I can't, I can't believe brother, sister, so They just don't get it. I, I guess we'll just have to wait to get to heaven before we just finally, you know, we just have to put up with this guy. This woman's always, that's just, that's just, that's just the way she is, and we're just going to have to put up with it. Is that what he's talking about, to bear? Is he talking about maybe pushing stuff under the rug and saying, well, we know brother so-and-so has a problem with this. We know that he has a tendency to fall into that temptation, but you know, we're just going to overlook it because we're all saved by grace. Sister so-and-so, she just can't, you know, fill in the blank. But we're just going to, you know, we don't want to, hurt anybody's feelings. And after all, we're almost home anyway. We just saying about that today. day. So, so what's the point of it, making a big deal about it? We'll just sort of let it go. Is that what he's talking about? Bearing with one another's weaknesses? No, that's not what he's talking about. The idea of bearing with literally means to lower our shoulder in care. to bear. now what are we bearing are we bearing the sins of others are we bearing their problems well Paul uses the term failings of the weak failings are errors arising from the weakness of mind in other words people who have scruples that paralyze them to action we've talked about the issue from the book of Romans about those who would eat meat and those who would not eat meat they would simply eat vegetables the person who was eating vegetables alone and not eating meat had scruples. Their conscience was pricked every time they thought about eating a piece of meat, whether it was offered to idols or whether it be a piece of pork that was prohibited in the Mosaic law. And they just couldn't bring themselves to do it. They were paralyzed in action. And Paul, as, as Tim made abundantly clear from chapter 14, says, you know, there's nothing wrong with the meat. However, for brother thinks it's sin to eat meat, then don't eat meat. You gotta love your brother. And this is what the failings that Paul's talking about here are. Failings of the weak, and that word weak literally means to be without power. You just don't have the ability to do it. It's interesting, I believe, that Paul uses this idea of weakness whether it be in the book of Romans or if we go to other places in the New Testament where he talks about the weaker brother that it's at least as far as I can tell is always in the context of somebody who is seeking to please God they're pious people but they're not mature enough in their faith to believe that you know what God has given us all things to enjoy and limits and boundaries to with enjoy them within but they just can't bring themselves to break free from the, from, the, from the bondage. They just can't eat a piece of meat offered to an idol. They just can't get around it. And so Paul's not, he's talking about that person who is truly pursuing a life of godliness, but they're paralyzed in their conscience to, to get past, certain things and the freedom that Christ has provided for them. He's not talking about people who were just habitually sinning. He's not talking about people who were teaching false doctrine. He helps us in Galatians chapter 6, where he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, in other words, that would be that second group of people, people who are teaching something wrong, people who are practicing sin, those who are pursuing their own lusts. If anyone is caught in in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore. Not bear. Restore. And you restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But the goal is to restore him if he's in sin. But he follows by saying, bear one another's burdens. If you catch someone in a transgression, if you find someone in sin, you restore them. How do you restore them? You go back to Matthew, where Jesus said that you confront them face to face. If you're aware of their sin, if he doesn't repent, then you go with another witness and and you confront them. And if that doesn't do it, then you bring them before the church. And if that doesn't work, then you cast them out as if he wasn't even a believer. You restore that person. But to the person who's burdened, to the person who just out of their efforts to be godly and be sanctified, can't get past the rules and limits that God did not impose on them, but they feel like that's making them closer to God, then you, you bear that burden with them. You don't ridicule them. As he says earlier in chapter 14, you welcome them. So we have those who are weak, not in the sense where they continue to fall into sin. That's, that's not the point Paul's making here. We're talking about people who are striving to be godly in their life, but they're doing it in ways that are really carnal, ways that really aren't given by God to be spiritual, but keep them chained to traditions. You bear with it. You, you, you lower your shoulder as someone who can't walk and you get underneath them and you, and you help bear them. That's what Paul's literally saying. That's what we do to that brother or sister in Christ who is weak. Now, why are they weak? Well, it's a very good possibility that the reason why they're weak is because they haven't renewed their mind. As Paul says, that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be renewed by the, transforming of our mind we think differently even if they're religious people before they become christians they got to think differently because what trapped them there in that religion was being like this world but nonetheless the reality is there will always be the weaker brother and sister Paul doesn't say fix them see that if I was writing Romans chapter 15 we have an obligation to fix everybody who's weak we need to put everybody on the same spiritual diet that I'm on everybody needs to be praying like I'm praying everybody needs to go to school like I went to school everybody needs to study like I study everybody needs to hold the same beliefs that I believe and Paul doesn't say that but Paul that would help If I could just have five minutes to just tell them how this right here, they're wrong. If I could just find five minutes right here to tell them that this is how to solve their problem. If I could just have five minutes to tell them why I'm so proud of myself. See, Paul says, I have an obligation not to please myself, even when I'm right. That's easy for me to do. But that's not what what we have an obligation to do. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We we have an obligation to help support those who can't get past these needless, worrisome, heavy burdens of trying to be sanctified before God in ways that God did not intend. We bear with them. Not shared this with some of you when I was pastoring in Denton. I remember we had an ice storm. Many of the churches in our area uh, wasn't having church because they didn't have any power, and so they canceled their services. And so, as I normally would do, I would get to my study about an hour before the church services started and make sure I was prepared, make sure everything was on, make sure the heat was on, uh, those types of things. Uh, And um, so I was there in my study and the phone rang and and, and the person asked and said, uh, hey brother, uh, our church's services are canceled. We want to know if y'all are having services. And I said, well, yeah, praise the Lord here in town. We don't have any problems. So yes, we will be. No problems with that. I didn't expect the next question. But do y'all use the King James Version in your Bible, in your church? And at the time, because we had individuals... that our church, that held strongly to the KJV. So when I preached, I read from the KJV. The remainder of my sermon did not necessarily contain the KJV. And we had people in our auditorium and our audience that would not be holding a KJV in their lap. And so I said, well, I preached from that, but I can't guarantee everyone in our church will be reading from it king james version thinking that i was being helpful thinking that i was being kind and merciful and the next thing i heard is well we won't be worshiping with you today click now thankfully they hung up before they heard me say good um, because that was pleasing myself But here I am, Lord, I'm trying to bend over backwards. I got people in my church. I'm not ridiculing them because they still hold on to the KJV. I even read it from the pulpit when I don't want to. I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody in the sound of my voice right now. But There's weaker brothers and sisters. They've got hang-ups, things that they think cause them to be more godly. They're trying to please God. They're not trying to start a fight. They're not trying to to to, to, to sin. They think in their conscience, their scruples are I can't get past this version of the Bible or a number of other things. Because love does no wrong to a neighbor. love is the fulfilling of the law so i need to understand that i have an obligation if indeed i'm a stronger christian i see that now there's you might have slipped up and just assumed well mark he's behind the pulpit he must be a strong let's not make any assumptions here because there may be some things i might be a strong believer in then there might be some things that there's somebody looking at me and saying well we just have to we're bearing with mark But the point of paul's letter in romans is to say you know what we we need to to, to live in harmony here and why would you have to say that because as we've mentioned before the church at rome had both gentiles which you would expect to be in the city of rome and then they also had jews and for centuries these two groups of people did not interrelate with one another and so traditions and family uh, teachings and and opportunities to get out with folks included segregation god wanted his people to stand out he gave them ceremonial laws he gave them uh, revelations that he gave to no one else so that they would stand out he didn't want them marrying any other uh, other race of people not because he was racist but because he wanted there to be one nation among all the others to be this is my people, and it's going to be through these people that I will bless all the other nations. But they took this to a whole different degree. And so when you have a church that Paul is writing a letter to that needs to be harmonious in their ministry for Christ, you have to go back to the very beginning to say we're all sinners. We're all under the condemnation of God. God has turned over many to a reprobate mind, to a mind of foolishness because of their rejection of him. And even the Jewish people who had the law have no upper hand because all it did was show them that they were a sinner and that justification is through faith alone. And that we stand before God, and even as we are justified, as we still sin, we give thanks to God for the victory he gives us over that sin because of what Christ did, so that we can stand and say with a loud voice, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And that the gospel that brings this message, because I have been brought to a point of repentance, looking at what Jesus Christ did on the cross, looking at the empty grave that sealed my pardon, So, all things are working together for my good. According to his purpose, that gospel, I am not ashamed. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So, get along. (laughs) You have no grounds to stand up on your high horse over here or on your podium and tell everybody how they need to be more like you you've got an obligation to bear with the weak what is this bearing going to do what is this loving our brother enough to bear with them what will it require well first of all it's going to require endurance have you ever tried to bear with somebody? i mean it's it's enough to try to tolerate with somebody but can you bear with somebody endurance is a dependence on hope and we are to have endurance in this work of edification you see let each of us verse 2 please his neighbor for his good to build him up ephesians chapter 4 Tells us that there have been different ministries given to the church. What? For the purpose of edification. For the building up of the church. To the building up how? In faith. You know, if I really wanted to fix my brother or sister in Christ who's weak, it's not going to be telling them, well, this is how I did it. It's going to be through enduring with them as I have lowered my sword under their arm. Picked them up on my shoulder and started carrying them. And you know, who knows, in God's wisdom and God's providence, after time of enduring with them, they may learn. You know how I know that? Because God has graciously put people in my life like that. God has providentially placed individuals in my life, whether it be a youth director or a bible professor or maybe even just another friend in the faith where they just waited out they just waited out they wouldn't those those people would let me stay in sin if that was my issue they would they would confront me about those things but you know what just a weakness that i had in my mind they bore with me they endured i can't help but think about endurance while while i see brandon here A few weeks ago, if you didn't know, uh, he ran the Chicago Marathon. Hope I'm not embarrassing you, Brandon, pointing you out. Didn't say your last name, because this is going out all over the place. I remember we were talking about that. I think it was last week. He was kind of giving me an idea of what that was. He said that there was a certain point where the cramps just started hitting him in the leg. And it wasn't close to the end. (laughs) Like mile 11 or something like that, is that what you said? 15, 11, 15, what's that, in 26 11 or 15, it's you know, a little over halfway. He had to endure, cause he finished. But he wouldn't have finished if he said, you know what, <laughs> you know what, my doctor said cramps aren't good for me, I think I'm just gonna sit this one up. Came all the way up here, I prepared for it, I got 15 miles in, that, that's close. That's better than Mark Andrews will ever get. Of course, if Brandon never starts comparing his physical life to me, he's just you know pathetic. That's what that would be. But endurance, because it gets hard. God, I'm, I'm I'm tired of bearing this this weaker brother on my shoulder. How long do I have to do this? Can't somebody else take a turn? We have to endure. It's what Christ did. Christ did not please himself, but it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That is a sermon and a half in and of itself. To think about the reproaches that fell on Christ. That were ours. Everything that Christ has taken for us. Not only do we have Christ's example, but we have whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Now, you've heard me use this verse a lot. I love this verse because it reminds us of how important the Old Testament is. It reminds us about why we need to be reading not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament. These things are written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. But to place it in this context is so helpful. Because it is so easy to give up on those people who are weak. But the scriptures encourage us to keep on. Think about Moses. Now, he had his own personal problems, but come on. Millions of people that he is bearing their complaining, their weak faith, their intolerance of him. you think about the years that the prophets would preach and preach and preach and not only were there no conversions but their lives were threatened these things were written for us so that we would endure in this ministry that we're obligated to endurance is fueled by hope this this word endurance Is used 13 times by Paul in this letter alone three times in the passage that we're looking at today this expectation this anticipation and normally an anticipation with pleasurable thoughts I don't know how Brandon would have made it the remainder of his marathon if he had to look over and see some poor chap over here who didn't train he paid the entry fee He got the number across his chest. He didn't have any running shoes on. And somebody says, now, Brandon, not only do you need to make it through with your cramps and everything going on, but you need to lower your shoulder and you need to carry this person along with you. Well, that's not fair. Brandon didn't train for two people. Brandon trained for himself. And doesn't, Brandon should. It's a marathon. But the Christian faith is not a marathon. Christian faith is a ministry of the kingdom of God through which we love one another. And lest we think that we have no ability to, to muster this up, you would be correct because Paul goes in the same verse 5 May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this endurance doesn't come from something that we work up in ourselves. It's a gift of God, just like our faith is, and we depend upon him to do it. But the second thing that we, is required for us to love our brother and to bear him as we ought is humility. A humility that reflects sacrifice. And Paul says in verse 8 that that's what Christ did. It's not to please ourselves. Speaking of the example of Christ, let me remind you of some very difficult words from Philippians chapter 2. In case you're thinking, well, this probably is the only time Paul really ever said this was an obligation and so therefore we just take it with a grain of salt and we look at all the other stuff but unfortunately for our flesh that's not the case but thankfully for our spirit he says in ephesians chapter 2 if there is any encouragement in christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind do nothing Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what a renewed mind looks like. This is what not being conformed to this present world looks like. It means your mind has been transformed to be like Christ. Well, what does that mind look like? It looks like you don't look out for just your interest, but you're looking out for the interests of others because of your love and your passion for unity with them. Now, again, we're not talking about people who are living in sin, that we just we're going to bear up this other brother and sister in Christ so they can keep living in sin. No, no. We confront that. We do like Jude last Sunday when we're in our Christian growth group. We talked about, you know, I made a little joke thinking that, you know, Mary must not have taken time to tell her children if you can't say anything nice about people, don't say anything nice at all because Jude laid it out. Paul lays it out. They do not mix words when it comes to confronting people about their sin. So we're not talking about that here, but we're talking about people who are weak, we're talking about loving them to the point where we consider their interests as our own because that's what Christ did well Christ is another matter you may say oh Christ was the Son of God he was perfect he could do anything he had the power to everything guess what so do you we have not been left to ourselves We've been given grace upon grace. So we need to be in, have endurance. We need to have humility in this ministry. We also have to have purpose. Not just for the sake of being nice to people. Not just for the sake of loving people. Because, well, you know, some people are loving, so I just want to be a loving person. No, it's not just for the sake of doing something. There is a purpose to it. Because all of this is leading to what? Verse 6. That together you may with one voice glorify God glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is that the goal of your life well it is but I also want to well yeah I know that's important but I also want to get yeah, I know the importance of doing all that. I know that heaven's going to be all about that, but you know right now I need to... You fill in those blanks. But if we look at a brother over here who's weak, or if we look at a weak sister over here in the face, and our goal is God's goal, as represented in a very familiar confession that you may be familiar with, that asks, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If when I see the brother or sister, and I'm thinking, how can I pursue glorifying God looking at this? Say, you know what? Hey, lift your arm up. We're going to sing together. Sister, let me help you. We're going to sing together. Because that's God's point. And if you weren't aware, that's going to be done a lot. A lot in heaven. But it doesn't come naturally. We are always wanting to please ourselves. So we have Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to help us, but take care of that, take care of that, this right of yours. <laughs> We're all about our rights. We've been made free in Christ. Those who are in Christ are free indeed. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. If anyone sees you have knowledge eating eating in an idol's temple, will will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. The sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. If I need to explain any more about the severity of that statement, take care if this right of yours doesn't somehow call someone else to sin, then therefore you sin against Christ. That's how serious this is. That's why Paul wrote the book to the Romans that included some substantial material about how you have nothing to claim on your own when it comes to your salvation so that you can live a life that glorifies God in harmony with your brother and sister who also have been saved by grace. Well, that brings us to point number two. You're like, hey, our lunch is getting cold. My wife's cream potatoes are getting cold over there as well along the grass But this is the big picture that we must see. Verse seven, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy there you go what is God doing what is the big picture why is he doing it We welcome one another knowing that God has been reaching out through his people initially through the nation of Israel but ultimately through his church Israel and Gentiles alike to bring people into the kingdom to confirm the promises given to Abraham Isaac and Jacob what was that promise That through you, the nations will be blessed. Is there land involved? Yeah. Are there people involved? Yes. Is there spiritual eternal blessing involved? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's God's purpose. That's the big picture. As it is written in Psalm 18, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Deuteronomy 32, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Psalm 117 praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him Isaiah chapter 11 the root of Jesse will come and even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him will the Gentile's hope this is a big picture it sounds a little bit like Romans chapter 1 not synonymous but in verses 4 through 6 Paul says Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ that's God's big picture that's what God is doing and that's where Romans fits he's preparing a people to glorify him to sing to him to praise him forever to extol him to rejoice this is the work of the gospel God is saving a people to praise him forever and that people is made up of all of us I was listening to somebody this past week. You've heard us use the terms with, whether you're a premillennialist or an amillennialist or a postmillennialist, or you don't even know what it is. You're just sort of a uh, something, whatever they say we are. But I was listening to somebody who was talking about being an amillennialist. Someone, or a postmillennialist rather, someone who believes that Jesus Christ is going to come back after a kingdom of Christ. Now, that's not my current theological position on eschatology and future things. I decided to listen to him. And and the way this person began his presentation was, you know what? And he had basically the same background that I did when it came through as far as what he has believed throughout his life, which, again, may be a danger to me, um, leading me into a dark area that I don't want to go without charts, without the ability to be able to read through the future, all that kind of stuff. But the way he opened his presentation was what helped me adopt this way of thinking about future things was that it helped me understand the big picture like oh man he's reasoning with me now he's going to persuade me to believe what he believes i don't want that because that helps me when i look at things in the big picture now, oftentimes what we will settle for is we're we're used to watching movies. And I love to watch movies that's based on real events or based on a true story. The only problem with that is about 5% of it is true. And then they have to make up characters. They have to make up, you know, uh, livelihoods. They have to make up all this other stuff that's based on this one true event, you know they signed a Declaration of Independence and they've got some movie that involves all kinds of stuff that has nothing to do with patriots or anything that has to do with the the founding of America. It's just, you know, they just, well, it's based on, you know, actual events. And sometimes we like to do that with the Book of Romans. We say, well, the Book of Romans is talking about living in harmony. The Book of Romans is talking about being dependent upon hope. The Book of Romans is focusing our attention on heaven and what we'll be doing forever. And we try to paint a picture of what that looks like. What did, what did the church in Rome look like? How, how, who were the people here and, and how did they receive? Hey, forget that. Focus. We have an obligation. We have an obligation to what? Carry, support, help. Our weaker brother. Why? Not just so that we can be busy doing something, not because God doesn't like us and He just wants us to have some worrisome task, because it's leading to something. It's leading to a song that's going to be sung one day. So that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the triune God. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all actively working to bring us to what? All of his people, the strong and the weak, the Jew and the Gentile, The male and the female, all of us who are in Christ, we're going to praise him. And then we're going to praise him some more. And then it's going to praise him some more. I'm going to do something uh, as we close. I just got scared of a minute. I haven't set my watch and it's one o'clock. I'm like, I knew I could finally get to one o'clock. But I don't think that this has ever been done in the closing of a message brought from the book of Romans. But hopefully you can see how the songs earlier today have been intertwined. I haven't even told my wife this yet, which might be a problem. But we're all familiar with this song. I want her to come and go ahead and and be prepared. What we're gonna do is we're gonna sing when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus we'll sing and shout the victory why because God in his grace has reached down and justified us not according to our works but according to his goodness that even while we were sinners he died for us why so we could one day Together, sing.